Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to be taking a look at probably the number one challenge to people all around the world, and that is climate change. My guest is an expert on this topic. Dr. Antonello Provenzale is director of the Institute of Geosciences and Earth Resources at the National Research Council of Italy. His most recent book is History of Climate Change from the Earth's Origins to the Anthropocene. Dr. Provenzali, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you very much and happy to be here and, and hello to everyone. I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you so very much. You've written a book on what I think, anyway, and I think a lot of other people do too, as the number one challenge in the world, and that is climate change. There, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of books out there. What was your main theme in writing your book? Well, the idea was to provide some uh, information, quantitative information on how climate change in the past and why it is uh, what we are seeing now. It's new with respect to the past. So to provide basically the basis for, for, for understanding and for, for reading the news with some critical uh, vision and trying to understand how climate works, basically. Now, it's been argued many of the climate change skeptics and deniers uh, and people who believe in climate change have pretty much conceded that the climate has changed over millions of years on the planet. What are some of the differences between, say, the climate of uh, 100 million years ago to today? And why are we accelerating at such a rapid pace with the development of carbon, carbon dioxide? Well, it's true that the climate has been changing a lot. I mean, 600 uh, million years ago, the, the Earth was almost covered with ice, almost completely. And, and 55 million years ago, uh, the, the temperature was about 10 degrees higher than today. So it's not so much the temperature in itself that matters, but the big difference is that, uh, well, there are two big differences. One is the speed of the change. The speed of the change today is very, very rapid. I mean, in the past, uh, the, the rapid change was like one degree in a thousand years. Today, we have one degree in 100 years, so it's 10 times faster. So this is the, the, the first difference. The second difference is that when the, the Earth was frozen or when the temperature was uh, higher than today, we were not there. I mean, there were reptilians, I mean, crocodiles, uh, big insects, uh, but not uh, billions of humans with fixed infrastructure as we have now. So it's not so much a problem for the planet, but it's a problem for, for our own uh, health and our own uh, possibility to, to live uh, a, a reasonable life. Mm -hmm. 
That's that is extremely important. It's one we often overlook. The fact that millions of years ago there may have been ten million people on the planet. Today we have eight billion, and not to mention we have very industrialized societies. How how are these industrialized societies helping to create this climate warming or global warming, uh, whatever we want to call it? Well, the the idea is to well, the first thing is that the the risk is uh, there are two main risks. One is the fact, that, for example, the the, the rise of uh, sea level could uh, could uh, hamper development of the coast where a lot of, a lot of people and industrial plants exist. Uh, the the other point is that there is a high risk of social instability. So in this sense. Uh, the industry is at risk, economy is at risk, and the industries should uh, go across this transition uh, uh, to energy produ production that uh, emits less CO2 in order to limit the growth of the temperature. And this is achieved with better technology, not with going back to some uh, idyllic uh, uh, epoch that never existed, but to have a better technology, which we have already, and which can we can further develop. And so that is the that is the avenue, I think. Exactly. And that's that's the challenge we run into. And you say better technology. What can we do? I know some countries are making great advances as far as reducing their carbon footprint. Uh, you look at Denmark, you look at uh, Costa Rica, different countries like that, they've made great strides. Iceland, of course, a lot of them have natural resources that help contribute to providing energy for their countries. But what what are some of the technological advancements we can use to help reduce this carbon footprint? Well, there are, in general, uh, renewable energies of various forms, which is just not one answer, but the solar, for example, is, is, is getting better and better. Of course, everything would be sold by a big solar plant in the middle of the Sahara, but that, you know, we have other geopolitical issues there, so it, that is not uh, uh, feasible. But the wind energy, the wind energy, especially offshore, uh, uh, this is another, another option. Geothermal energy, Iceland, you mentioned Iceland, so, but even in Italy, we have a lot of geothermal energy. So it's, it's the ability of using different sources of energy and to blend them, to combine them. Maybe at some point, some, some country will have more wind, maybe in winter. Other countries will have more sun in, in summer. So there should be a change in, in this sense, which is, I understand, a bit utopic. I mean, it's not really, it's a bit of an utopia, but we need to do it because otherwise we'll not be able to, to, uh, to, to cope with the, with, the, with the rise of temperature. Mm -hmm. Now, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has indicated, and they've been doing, I think they've been in existence since 1988 or something like that, and they've been predicting that the situation is getting more dire and we have to maintain a 1.5 degrees Celsius, is that correct, in order to not tip the planet into a rapid melting phase that we will have no control over. It'll basically melt on its own, the ice caps. Uh, how close are we to that? Well, to that uh, the, right. I mean, today, the temperature in the last 100 years um, grew, uh, 
rising by about 1.1 degrees global global mean 1.4 uh, over the land over the the so we are pretty close to that in fact and then uh, um there, there are many there's a lot of concern on the fact that this this limit probably uh cannot be maintained i mean we cannot stay below the 1.5 1.5 with respect to the pre-industrial means 0.4 with respect to today before there was another limit which was two degrees which is about one degree more than now then many uh, studies show that of course it's it's forecast i mean this is forecast so all forecasts are are affected by uncertainty but the, between two and three degrees more than the pre-industrial there are systems that, that can collapse, like corals already collapsing, but the Arctic between two and three degrees more than, than pre-industrial and many others. Uh, Small-scale fisheries at low latitude and so on. Uh, so a, a big point is between two and three degrees. And then above that, what does it mean? I mean, above that, it doesn't mean that it will be the end of the world. It means that the cost of repairing the damage will be much, much higher than the cost of doing the energy production transition. That is also costly, but right now, apparently the damage costs less than doing the energy transition. But if the temperature continues to, to grow, and then the point is not so much the temperature, but the water cycle. I mean, floods, uh, droughts, fires that come with, uh, with, with after droughts, then it could become very costly. So it's again, it's a sort of a speed limit, say, well, it's not that if you go twice the speed limit, it's automatic that you are you have an accident, but the chance of having an accident grows quite a lot. That's that's a very important point that you raise. Well, several very important points. And one in particular is that it's going to cost us so much more to deal with this problem in the future than if we deal with it now. And a lot of people are just ignoring it, saying, well, It'll be all right. You know, we still have gasoline it's $3 a gallon in the United States and most places, that type of thing. But it'll take care of itself. But really, these expenses are going to increase. And we, we've seen that through assistance to areas that have been hit by flooding, by desertification, by migrants, climate migrants who are fleeing because they can't live in their own countries. So it is going to become much more, uh, much more of a problem in the future, is it not? Absolutely. Uh, it's not so much the cost of the gasoline, which depends a lot on not only on the availability of oil, but also on the geopolitical the economic decisions, but it's really the, the cost of the damage, I mean, repairing the damages. And then uh, droughts, for example, agriculture could collapse in some areas. Uh, all the, the, the basin of the Mediterranean is exposed more and more to droughts. In all uh, Western uh, United States, I mean, the, 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 West, the Northwestern uh, North America is exposed to droughts and fires. So the cost will be very large. There is also an interesting point who is, who is paying uh, the, the energy transition and who is paying the cost of not doing the energy transition. It's not the same people, no? Because the cost of the energy transition is shared in some way that we don't know yet between the producers and the consumers of the energy. Uh, consumers, which are very often other industries. Um, but the cost of the, of the damage, of repairing the damage, of not doing the transition, is maybe something for the governments. And so it's maybe something for the taxes of the citizens. 
So it's not the same groups. So there is also this, this aspect that is very important. Now, you mentioned uh, migrations, and this is a very important point. I mean, already now there are um, many migrants. Uh, some of them are already climatic migrants. Most of them are economic migrants or, 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 or escaping from wars. Um, but there is some forecast that if some areas, for example, of uh, Africa, will, will, or the, the agriculture will collapse, we could have in Europe uh, millions of migrants, not like we have now. And same thing in, uh, in Asia, same thing in America. So that would be, to me, is one of the main concerns. I mean, right now, uh, climatic crises are not the main driver of, of migrations and instabilities, but they, but they are already a, a complicating factor, but they could become one of the main drivers. And then it means uh, disrupting the society, disrupting our belief in democracy. What do you do when, when there are people uh, coming like that? I mean, uh, it's... it's, it's it's uh, dystopia. It's the danger of dystopia somehow. It certainly is. And we're going to come back in just a moment and talk about subsidies and the costs and also talk about the climate migrants. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite our viewers to go to our website at www globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or a community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our programs and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're looking at an international issue that impacts all 8 billion people on the planet, and that is climate change. My guest is an expert on this topic. Dr. Antonello Provenzale is the director of the Institute of Geosciences and Earth Resources at the National Research Council of Italy. His most recent book is History of Climate Change from the Earth's origins to the Anthropocene. Dr. Poland Sally, you've hit on so many important points. Uh, we're gonna to try to get them all in before the end, but let's talk a little bit about cost. Uh, I, I don't have a current figure, maybe you do, but we're spending, the nations of the world, the governments are spending trillions of dollars in subsidies each year to the fossil fuel industries, to the oil, coal, and gas industries. What if some of that money were to be taken and put into clean energy? Could we not move much more rapidly from a fossil fuel-based economy to one that's cleaner and is more beneficial for everybody and would create jobs? There's a myth, I think, that all these jobs are going to be eliminated, but some will, but a lot of new ones will be created. How, how do you view that? I'm not an expert in, in economy, so I may just offer my, my personal view. But uh, clearly, as I was saying before, the, the, this, the way out is through better technology, cleaner technology. And, and, and there is the need for a lot of jobs in this other technological uh, aspect. For example, 
protection of the coast uh, of the, uh, the then you can do it with a lot of cement or or you can do it with the planting mangroves or other types of plants submarine plants in in other seas see this is the the call what is called the the natural based solution so it's just a matter of choice but we are we are all we humans are all conservative and it takes time it takes inertia i mean it's not easy to change the way we produce energy there is an industrial system that's based on that so there is really a change from one type to another time i think it's a I mean, abandoning the agricultural world for the industrial world 300 years ago was not easy. And so we are now across a different uh, revolution or transition. It takes time. The problem is that we don't have enough time. We don't have much time because if we continue with the emissions as, as we have now, the forecast is that by the end of the century, we'll have four or five degrees more than the pre-industrial, so three or four degrees more than today. And this is well beyond the limit we were discussing a few minutes ago. So the point is that there are different industrial visions that are uh, um, that are confronting each other. It's not, it's not I, I don't like to say that the good ones are on one side and the bad ones are on the other side. I mean, it's really different views and, and, and new visions that must be developed and we mentioned some of them uh, then uh, of course uh, this is uh, difficult to achieve because everybody has their own interest rightly enough but then the point is that we should be able to put the interest of uh, the whole society above the interest of individual groups but you know this is uh, <laughs> not only in climate in many other situations as well Exactly. That's exactly true. And uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier, that this is not just going to happen overnight. And we, we're seeing it now that there are places around the world. I know there are a couple of places in Iraq and other places where it's getting so hot in the summer that people simply cannot live there. They have to leave or, or die. One of the two. You just cannot survive. You can't breathe. And that's going to be the case in many countries around the world, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two. Or, yes, this is true. But the, to me, the, the the most dangerous aspect is the collapse of the agriculture, because in many uh, already warm areas, it, it, the, if if the water cycle changes and and the, and the climate becomes much drier, there could be a collapse of the agriculture. And then, uh, and this goes together with the the ex the extreme exploitation of the water resources, for example, the underground water resources. This is happening everywhere, uh, also in the in the west of the United States, in many areas in Europe. And, uh, and, and this could eliminate the, 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 the possibility of living there, even more than the extreme heat, because the extreme heat takes place in very localized areas which are already very warm. But a, a more generalized collapse of the agriculture could be at the source of uh, huge, huge migrations. And the other point is the fires, the big fires that uh, are now, um, we have this new um, process called mega fire. Uh, and also fires in boreal areas. I mean, in Siberia, in Northern Europe, in Canada, uh, in Alaska. Uh, these are a new fact, I mean, new in the last 2000 years. And then, uh, 
can be also very dangerous because they also emit a lot of CO2. And so they add on the, uh, the, the, the greenhouse effect. The other point is where, where the rise of temperature is especially dangerous is around the zero degree isoline. I mean, if you go from, from uh, 20 to 21, sorry, I'm, I'm talking Celsius, <laughs> uh, right. the, then, then, all right, it's warmer, but, uh, but if you go from just below zero, above zero, so be below freezing to above freezing, then it means that a lot of uh, ice and snow freezes. And that's what's happening in the mountains of uh, the whole uh, world. I mean, glaciers are retreating, water is being lost immediately. And the permafrost, the, the permanently frozen ground, especially in the Arctic, is, um, is towing. I mean, is is uh, defrosting. And this could release a lot of methane, a lot of CO2, so what we fear is, no, is not only the direct effect of the CO2, but the cascade of amplification effect that the climate can, uh, can uh, under, uh, go through. I mean, the, I was mentioning the 55 million years ago episode. Then the, it was triggered by emission of CO2 by volcanoes, by the mid-Atlantic ridge. But then, then there were enormous amplification mechanism. And so they are acting still now. The permafrost is one of them. So, yeah. That it, that those are all very important points. And we, we really must pay attention and get involved in this. Uh, we're just about out of time, but I do have two last questions I want to try to squeeze in very quickly. One, do you think we're that there's a population problem. We have 8 billion people today. And of course, everyone wants to, quote, be middle class. Everybody wants to have an air conditioner, and which is normal, cars, those types of things. I, I do, you do, I'm sure. We all do, probably. But do you think that uh, maybe that we have too many people on the planet or that we're consuming too much? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Both. I mean, both. Of course, uh, <laughs> fewer people would be better, but then the problem is how to, to reduce the number. I mean, something that it's already happening, you know. The best way to reduce the number of people is to have uh, uh, wealthier uh, people, because usually what happens when people are wealthier, and uh, then, then they reproduce less. And then uh, this is happening in all, in all countries once mm -hmm. they, they reach a, a good. Uh, uh, economic state, then the, the, the curve of the growth of the population bends. Uh, so this is one thing. Uh, the other, yes, we are we are we are really consuming too too many resources. This is this issue of uh, um, what is the the day of the year when we have consumed all the resources that were produced are produced by the planet in one year, and then it's becoming earlier and earlier and earlier. So it means that we are basically consuming. The, the, the capital, not, not the interest. And so this means that's not sustainable in the long run. How to achieve a better balance? Uh, then it goes through many, many social and economic changes, of course. And then, uh, you know, I mean, we all have air conditioners, but I don't, but uh, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I mean, I'm lucky enough to live in a place which is not that warm during summer. Uh, but maybe we could use it less. I mean, use it only when it's really needed. One thing that I was always, uh, always found uh, interesting, let's say, 
when I was in the US is that during summer, houses are, are much colder, not only than outside, but what they are during winter. <laughs> so there is this, uh, well, maybe this could be avoided. No, I mean, it's a matter of being uh, put one more something and then, uh, and then it's minor thing, of course. It's not, it's not the solution. It's not that going by bicycle solves the problems, but it helps. But, the, but you're absolutely right. We can all conserve in different ways. We can turn back the thermostat. We can keep the air conditioning lower, or whatever the case might be, a little less heat, wear a sweater or something like that. But Or maybe multitask when we go out to do run errands, take your car or your bike or whatever you do, and then go to three or four places. But there are so many ways that we can do it. But as uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres at the UN said not long ago that we are now beyond global warming, we are into global boiling. And that, I'm afraid, he's absolutely correct. But uh, Dr. Provenzali, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.